Welcome to Get After It PDX, a down-to-earth podcast featuring honest conversations with inspiring people in the creative hotbed of Portland, Oregon. Recorded live and on location in Portland, let's welcome the co-founder of Y East Wolfpack and the host of Get After It PDX, Willie McBride. Hey folks, a quick note before we get started. The Get After It PDX podcast is brought to you by the support of our friends at the Aimsure Distilling Company, a new distillery focused on bringing people together through great flavors and a warm environment. They love the way spirits taste, but more importantly, they love what they do. Spirits bring people together to make memories, build bridges, and crystallize the moment opening up in early 2020 in Northeast Portland. We are very excited to be here with guest Gregory Gorday, our second guest on the Get After It PDX podcast. Gregory is the executive chef and culinary director for Departure Restaurants, which are in here in PDX and in Denver, Colorado. We want to start back in the day. Yes. And inform our listeners about how you first got started in this beloved city of ours. So, how did you get to Portland? What was your trajectory uh, here? So, I actually, I grew up in New York City, and I actually started leaving home at a pretty young age. Uh, my parents immigrated here from Haiti when they are in their 20s to pursue education and a better way of life. So, that was always something that they wanted for us. Um, so, they worked quite hard to, you know, make ends meet and, you know, just have a better opportunities for us. So I actually went to boarding school uh, for high school. So I, I left home by the time I was 16 and went to a very small uh, high school in Delaware, actually called St. Andrews. If you're familiar with Dead Poet Society, it's actually where Dead Poet Society was filmed. Uh-huh. So it was quite uh, a different experience from growing up in a predominantly uh, Haitian-American, African-American neighborhood in Queens. So it kind of exposed me to, you know, well, one, white people, <laughs> and just just people from all around America, because we had people from different states, and, you know, our, our neighborhood growing up was very homogenous, and, and in fact, it was very Caribbean and very African-American. So that was a really, really great experience, really small school, 250 kids, you know, I'm still really amazing friends with, and, like, all my friends from high school. Uh, but that kind of, like, started the bug for me to, like, experience life, you know, like, there's always this dichotomy of living in the city, or living somewhere really rural because the school was really beautiful. It was small. It was cornfields, and you know, it was on a pond, and you know, there's great blue herons flying around. So, you know, uh, I ended up going to, back to the city for college for one year, pre-med at NYU, and being back in the city, it just felt like I wanted to do somewhere else. I wanted to be somewhere else. I wanted to be somewhere far more rural and kind of nature kind of focused. Uh, and I ended up actually going out to Montana. And I started taking wildlife biology at the University of Montana. Oh, yeah. Wow. So, so that's just after one year back in the yeah, city. Yeah, after one year back in the city. After boarding school. Yeah. yeah. Felt this pull. Yeah. And, uh, you know, conservation and natural resources, all these kind of topics uh, were important to me, which is, you know, something that has stayed with me throughout. You know, um, I just didn't click with the curriculum for 
the wild biology for for some reason. Um, either way, uh, you know, I was uh, I was like starting like barbed wire like in classes, and it just didn't seem like something that I truly wanted to be focused in at the time. You were studying barbed wire, yeah, right? <laughs> with like ranchers, you yeah. know. Okay, okay. So it was it was not ideal, but I I loved living in Montana. Uh, I, I it was Montana's absolutely beautiful state. Uh, you know, it was the first time I was living on my own, and I was actually feeding myself for the first time. So that is truly how I started cooking. You know, I had a roommate, and he was from Long Island, and we would just, you know, come home from class, and we'd cook every night. And it was, like, really simple stuff like pasta and, like, you know, like baked potatoes. But, you know, because we were basically college kids trying to feed ourselves. But over time, you know, uh, I would feed, you know, friends for, like, holidays or for special occasions or for dinner parties. And everyone was like, oh, you're a really good cook. And I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And... It was the first time, you know, cooking as a hobby or cooking as an activity uh, was something that I did and was really fun. So, actually, one of my uh, dear old friends, she suggested that I, I, I start working in a restaurant, and and I did. Uh, I actually started washing dishes at a restaurant, and I started working at this bookstore slash deli making sandwiches. So, the, those were my first two jobs in the industry. And those were in Montana? And that was in Montana. In Missoula? In Missoula, Montana. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, through that, I was actually washing dishes at this uh, really iconic restaurant in Missoula, Montana called The Hobnob. And the chef there, Charles, saw a little bit of a fire in my eye and suggested I go to culinary school. And, you know, it was like 1997, probably back then. And so how did he just saw you washing dishes yeah, and, and saw yeah. that spark in you? <laughs> he saw the spark in me. Wow. And, uh, like visionary. <laughs> well, I mean, like, back then, it was definitely pre, you know, like, food TV. Uh, and, like, culinary school was just not really a popular thing. Mm-hmm. It just really wasn't a thing at all. I didn't, actually didn't know that culinary school existed back then. So, you know, I researched some schools, mostly on the East Coast and mostly in New York. And my parents and I agreed that I would go to culinary school after graduating from college. So I actually had a bunch of French credits, and I graduated, and I moved back to New York to go to Culinary Institute of America. And it truly was the first time everything clicked for me. You know, I loved the curriculum. I had an amazing time. It was like this little treat because I was literally back in college after graduating from college. So... I felt like I had a pretty good advantage on just a lot of it, and I just had a blast. You know, it was the first time school actually completely made sense for me, and I did really well, and I truly felt that, you know, I had decided what I wanted to do for the first time, you know, after going through a couple of different states and a couple of different majors and studying all these different things. So, so yeah, so, you know, in, in 1999, I did an externship at Jean Georges, uh, which is uh, a really famous restaurant in New York City. Um, we had, you know, four stars from the New York Times um, back in the day when that was really the only kind of metric for reviews. Uh, he's won uh, three mission stars um, a few times. Uh, he's actually lost a star, but it's still one of the finest dining restaurants in New York City. So I was able to do an internship there. I worked there for a couple months with the cooks thrown in the fire. And I went back to culinary school a little bit better um, after that experience. And in 2000, I graduated from culinary school, and I started at St. George uh, a week later. And I worked there for six and a half years uh, within the company, rose through the ranks, you know, uh, 
a lot happened in New York at that time, honestly. Um, but I, I learned, you know, fine dining techniques. Uh, he was really into uh, Asian fusion, which is a, a big part of the 90s, and leading that movement, you know, mixing a lot of French ingredients with Asian ingredients. So we worked with the ginger, we worked with the chilies, and all those ingredients are a big part of my story today. Um, but he also had a, a huge health factor to a lot of his food. He was one of the first French chefs to kind of, you know, get rid of butter and use olive oil and instead of heavy sauces. He would use, you know, fruit juices and vegetable juices and herb oils to kind of lighten dishes. So, um, again, that's something that sticks with me today. You know, as I try to kind of make, you know, delicious, bold flavor food, um, that's a little bit lighter and much healthier um, because I do believe health is extremely important. Uh, throughout this time, you know, the, the quick version is I fell into a very deep drug addiction, uh, drug and alcohol addiction. And... Uh, I entered rehab by the end of it all, uh, you know, with a lot of, you know, great culinary, you know, under my belt, but a lot of addiction as well. Uh, this kind of like two trains running at the same time type deal. I moved to California uh, for a short stint. And throughout this whole thing, I was trying to get a little bit of sober, just trying to, you know, seek change. Um, but, you know, a really good friend of mine was living in Portland, Oregon, and the Nines Hotel was opening at the time, and he told me about this job for this Asian restaurant that was opening at the Nines Hotel. And being that I had lived in Montana and I had visited Portland, you know, way back in the day, uh, we would actually come here and go to raves, like in the 90s. And so I had a little bit of history with Portland, and I got here, and, you know, a lot of things just kind of fell into play. Uh, I got here, I, I had a lot of friends from college that were here. Uh, I did one last little party run and I finally got sober. So, you know, Portland's a very special place for me because I was able to get sober here uh, almost nine and a half years ago. Um, Congratulations. Thank you, thank you very much. And, and through that, you know, a lot of different things happened, but that is how I got to Portland. And, you know, my life has changed completely since. Thank you for, <laughs> for that rundown. <laughs> so yeah, sort of ironic in a sense that you were talking about, you know, the health health trends of some of the food you were working on back in New York and mm. so it's crazy that you're focused on health and you're cooking food that is is providing health and wellness for people in so many ways and yet your own health and wellness was sort of going the opposite direction. True. So I think that's something that is would you say prevalent and still prevalent in the sort of industry is this imbalance of mm, yeah I mean I think I think there's a lot of conversation around sobriety in the kitchen right now and you know with Me Too there was a huge shakeout with you know just restaurant culture in general you know throughout the Me Too event there was a whole you know restaurant culture shakeout with a lot of big figures in the industry you know, being accused, you know, of really awful things, you know, like Mario Batali, uh, John Besh, um, all these kind of really famous chefs. And, you know, that has caused a lot of conversations to be happening um, about, you know, just, you know, toxic masculinity in the kitchen, which was the culture for quite some time. You know, you know, I think a lot of kitchens uh, have been run by or filled with a lot of men. 
uh, for quite some time, you know, that shift has completely, you know, taken a turn, you know, of course. Um, but, you know, honestly, when I was a young cook, you know, like 20, 15 years ago, you know, it was uh, a culture of, you know, working extremely hard, um, showing up early, you know, being as tough as possible, not a lot of direction, um, not a lot of talking about how you feel and um, just kind of understanding that, that it was a very important job to do. Um, you know, we didn't talk about our feelings that much. We, we knew we had a, a tough challenge and we knew we had to execute perfect food and we knew we had to work long hours and, and then we parted really hard after. Uh, so I think, you know, you know, I mean, like as a metric, you know, like kitchens across the world are, are far run by my more women, you know, um, globally. But I think in a professional kitchen, you know, you know, more women um, are joining the culinary field um, and more women are, are getting acknowledgement, which is extremely important. You know, my kitchen um, is, is almost 50 percent women. You know, um, it's 10% trans, you know, so there's definitely a different level of inclusion than when I was a young cook. Um, so, yeah, but, you know, it's it, that is just kitchen culture in general, you know, but I, I do think a lot of things have shifted with uh, the younger generation and, you know, how we communicate with each other and just mental wellness and mental wellness in general um, as, as a culture. So how do you feel, why do you feel that Portland really kept you here? What You said, obviously, some of the things you knew, you had friends here, mm -hmm. you had some history here, you had an opportunity when you were living in California to bring you up here, but what, what do you feel like has kept you here? What is really unique about this place that entices you? Because you're being a, especially now with all your accomplishments and accolades and, and sort of celebrity status as a big chef. You know, you could, I'm sure, go to a lot of different cities and be very successful, but you, you continue to be here in Portland. So what what are these special things that have kept you? <laughs> uh, I mean, I think, you know, Portland and Oregon, and, you know, just, you know, truly, you know, I think I mean, Portland's definitely my favorite American city. You know, obviously I love New York because you can do anything and get anything. And But, you know, I, honestly, like the one thing that distinguishes Portland for me is you can still say hi to someone in the street. And I know there are different cities in America where you can do that. Um, but for me, I think it's truly special where you can walk down the street and say hi to someone. Um, and, and it's changing because Portland is continuously changing and developing, um, but there's still that element of it. I know, I just, I just remember when I moved here and it was just like this rainy kind of moody you know lush green place those are my first you know memories of living in Portland and I think with climate change that has changed you know the climate here has changed quite a bit over the past decade uh, but I still have this romantic notion of you know like the kind of rainy Oregon day and just like lush trees and you know it's kind of like the feeling you get when you're running in the woods during the fall or the winter and it's just kind of dark and a little bit gloomy, but there's a sense of calm throughout the whole thing. Um, I think from a culinary perspective, Portland, hands down, has some of the best produce and growing season in America, and we are extremely fortunate, you know, and being that it is such a close community and it's such a kind of a small town, you know, we can access these resources quite easily. So from a chef perspective, restaurateur perspective, you know, there isn't much of a better place in America to be living. Where, you know, obviously there's amazing places in California, but, you know, 
here we definitely can grow things year round and we have a really close relationship with our farmers and everything is just you know like a stone's throw away so and that's all fantastic for a culinary professional like myself i also think the culinary community is extremely close-knit i think like a lot of other communities in our you know city are the running community you know um but we all get together all the time you know um we cook together we share cooks we share ingredients and there's always a constant conversation amongst us culinary professionals and cooks and chefs about what we're using um what we're trying to do to promote food in oregon um so yeah i mean I think all those things together have kept me here. I mean, also, you know, I've had so many life-changing things happen to me in Portland. You know, I remember when I was, <coughs> I remember when I was in rehab in New York City. That was actually the first time I actually started running. So when I was in rehab for a short stint, I had nothing to do. I was living with my parents again, so I would just run this like little two-mile loop around my parents' house into the, this little park in Long Island, and it was like the most awful thing ever, and like it would hurt forever. And by the time I finally got sober two years later, that's when I refocused on wanting to be a runner. I ran my first half marathon. Uh, I trained for my first marathon, which was a Seattle marathon in like 2009. Uh, and through that, you know, through, you know, just meeting runners within the community and meeting ultra runners who, you know, would push me and you know, just my addictive personality. You know, I ran my first ultra, you know, I ran a couple of 50 milers. I trained for Mount Lakes 100, um, but that, you know, didn't work out because the storm got canceled, you were there. <laughs> um, so, you know, that, all that, it truly are some of the greatest accomplishments of my life, you know. Or running these, some of these absolutely. races. You know, so, uh, you know, I think all those stories, you know, I mean, honestly, like the past ten years have been some of the best years of my life. I've been able to accomplish so much. So, you're saying that having done some of these major accomplishments outside of the kitchen while um, you were in Portland further has deepened this connection yes. to this place yeah. because it happened while you were here. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine having accomplished you know those running goals anywhere else. You okay. know, so and plus I got to meet you. Oh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's been been a wonderful thing. Uh, running is an outlet for you and going into nature is a way that you combat some of the stresses of, of your job. Yeah. So, I mean, like my relationship with running has changed a lot over the past 10 years. You know, truly when I got sober, I needed something to do besides go out and get drunk and do drugs every night. So I literally would go out after work and, and run. I would train for my races like at night after work. So from like 11 to like 1 in the morning, I would go run. I would run the waterfront. I would run northwest. I would run into southeast. You know, I would run into Forest Park a little bit. You know, I literally trained for like all my first races like at night after work because I was trying to, you know, just change my brain into thinking that I need to go out and get drunk. And I had to channel that into something positive. And it seemed like the best time. And you, you were know? already used to being up at those hours. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And, you know, uh, you know, I mean, I, I hit it pretty hard. You know, I, I think a lot of people, when you get sober, you know, you want to change so much about you that you have all this energy and you're so used to these addictive things and you have you, you immediately seek a different outlet. And and for me, that was running, you know, uh, 
I mean, like, I just remember, like, looking up running in, like, I saw the word ultra runner, and I just thought it, it sounded so cool. And and I realized I only had to run, like, five more miles after my first marathon to be an ultra runner. <laughs> and I literally just, like, went up to, you know, Washington by myself, and I ran my first ultra by myself. And through that, you know, I definitely got the bug. And it really took some other runners that I became friends with to convince me that I could run further. And I did, and, and you know, running a couple 50 milers was really amazing. And I think, you know, when you have this addictive part of you, you know, um, I think as athletes and runners, we all have it, you know, that desire to push and to want more um, and to know that you can push yourself and, 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 and be uncomfortable and doesn't scare you. Um, you know, you find an outlet for it. And some of us find it in running or, you know, I've seen other, you know, friends of mine get sober and do the same thing. You know, it's like this whole span of time where we're just so hungry for life, you know. And I think a lot of people who don't have addiction have this as well. And that's what makes us, you know, makes us all seek, you know, these crazy adventures that we do. Saying you're an ultra runner, you said you liked the sound of that. <laughs> what is which is fine. I, I like the sound of it too. <laughs> what does it mean to you? Like when you say that to someone or yeah, I, somebody says to you, oh, you're an ultra runner. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's like the physical aspect of, you know, running, you know, like a 50K. Uh, but, you know, I mean, we, I think, I think a lot of it is just your relationship with running and, and how you perceive it. You know, I think a lot of people... So I was, you know, a road runner for quite some time, you know, like my marathon PR is like 340, you know, that was like something that I desired for quite some time. And then, you know, I realized like I had, you know, like a lot less to prove. And I realized that I truly ran because not because I wanted to be fast or because I wanted, you know, speed to be a goal, but because I wanted to, you know, kind of break away from what now became the pressure of my career. So, you know, with, you know, my dedication, you know, a lot of success has come to me. Um, the restaurants have gotten busier. We've opened a second one. You know, I went on Top Chef and that brought a lot of fame to the restaurant. Uh, a lot of doors opened and work just became extremely busy. The restaurant, you know, uh, grew in business quite a bit, you know, over the past, you know, few years. So that has forced me to work quite a bit. So, you know, through that, my outlet became running and, and not for speed, uh, but truly just to be able to get outside and to, you know, have some time alone. And for me, it became this thing where I just wanted to be in the woods for as long as possible um, with maybe a friend or two um, and just truly experience nature. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, like I think my personal relationship with running at this point is, is truly about just being able to be outside. Um, and it's not so competitive and, and I still desire to run long distance, you know, it's just a matter of time and, and, and making sure that I can organize myself, you know, and, you know, trips like how we do and go to the Grand Canyon, you know, like for me, like that's, you know, the most perfect thing, you know, to be able to be somewhere extremely beautiful, um, somewhere challenging, um, and it's not about time, but it's about the space. What about the times when you can't? run or you can't get out I see somebody 
with a life like yours, clearly, yeah. it's oh, really, yeah. it's extremely uh, uh, no, difficult no. to to fit all that in. No, it's so. true. It's true. You when know, it doesn't like, happen, what? It's hard. You know, I, honestly, it's hard. It's hard to look back and think of how far you know I've come with my running career and and how little I, I work now. But we all have to make choices. And it's sorry, how little? What do you mean? How little you're? Yeah, I mean, currently I, I'm, running or yeah, how I'm currently running. Okay, you know, but. I definitely still consider myself a runner. I have never given up. You know, um, I I might not be training for a hundred miler right now, but you know, you know, I'm training to go to the Grand Canyon. You know, and go around down there. You know, so I don't know. I mean, even if the goal shifts, I think, I think one health means different things. I think two, we all have to juggle a lot of things in life. You know, so I mean, say if someone becomes a parent, you know, they're running might shift for a few years. You know, and me, I'm extremely career focused. You know, it's the biggest part of my life. And if I find I can find success in my career, and maybe that chops away some time from running, um, but I can make amazing food and please people through that. And I can teach young cooks and I can see their growth. To me, you know, that is as rewarding as anything I can do for myself. You know, I think feeling healthy um, is just as important as accomplishing goals you know and for me as long as I think like I'm feeling healthy and treating my body correctly you know I don't feel I necessarily need to you know run 100 miles you know even though that is still a goal of mine oh yeah absolutely 100 miles (laughs) god who needs that it's unnecessary to run 100 miles to be healthy it's all about just moving but yeah I know but you know I mean, I think the the great thing about life and knowing what you want is, you know, never giving up, you know, and just because you can't accomplish something today doesn't mean you can't accomplish it tomorrow. And just because you can't accomplish something this month doesn't mean you can't accomplish it next year, you know, and just always looking to know that I, I think it's about understanding that what you have deep down inside is something that will fuel you. And if you have confidence in knowing that one day you will accomplish something, um, you can. I firmly believe that anything is possible. I've proven to myself that anything is possible. I've, I've gone sober. You know, I've overcome, you know, a 17-year addiction to nicotine, uh, a seven-year addiction to drugs and alcohol, including cocaine. You know, um, you know I've, I've run pretty far, you know. So, like, all these things are, are part of me. So I haven't given up, you know, just because I work a lot right now. Um, that doesn't mean like I don't believe in health you know to me health is represented in food if I can make healthy food and make people happy I think that's important so I think you know there's a big part of the story you know and it's about what part of your life you're carving out for these elements right now but what I'm hearing is that at some point you will be running on your miles I haven't given up good I have not given up we believe in whatever you want to do and put your mind and heart towards One question I wanted to ask is that Portland gets really uh, a bad rap in terms of diversity and Mm -hmm. justifiably so in a lot of ways, Mm -hmm. but you are Haitian American, correct? Yes. Yes. So you are a person of color in a city that is largely called white, Mm -hmm. and you also, as a trail runner, are, are in an outdoor recreation space that is is largely not diverse and not representative of all the, these groups. So how do you feel about that? Has that been something you've been 
aware of? Do you feel like Portland gets gets a an appropriate <laughs> rap for what it is, or do you think there's more diversity than initially meets the eye? What's your take? No, I mean I think Portland's definitely like one of the whitest cities I've ever lived in, but like at the same time, like Portland is like by far one of the most liberal cities I've ever lived in. So I think that's where it kind of works because, you know, you know, I think like everyone here is like fighting for all these social causes, you know, and that's why it works. I mean, there's definitely some racism here, you know, you leave Portland, there's definitely like a little bit more racism and, you know, Oregon as a state in general, you know, there's some shady, you know, things that happen, you know, outside of our little blue dot of, of Portland. Um, but yeah, but I mean, I think in today's culture where, you know, global influences are, you know, just like a fingertip away, um, you know, I, I don't think it's something detrimental to the character of the city, you know. Specifically working in the food industry in Portland, we see so many different types of ethnic cultures represented in the cuisine, you know, so there's there's Haitian cooks cooking here, there's, you know, Ethiopian, there's Russian, there's Thai. So, you know, in my specific kind of like group of industry professionals, um, and even as a diner, you know, you can totally see that there is actually is a lot of culture here, you know, and, and just look at the restaurants, you know, and we have Vietnamese restaurants and Mexican restaurants, and, and these are vibrant, you know, thriving businesses with a lot of people that represent, you know, a big part of Portland, because Portland is a global dining destination, so, um, you know, but I, I mean, I think it's good to have diversity, and obviously, you know, like someone with my background, where I grew up in Queens, you know, and you know, I did not have trails to run in, you know, and even when we moved, you know, like the closest park was like a two mile loop, you know, so I didn't have the opportunity growing up to like run in trails like some people who live in different parts of the world do, um, but or America, but I grew up somewhere very urban, I grew up in New York City, so to be able to come to that, it's great, you know, uh, I mean, my brother-in-law lives in Atlanta, and he's part of uh, an African-American, you know, hiking group, you know, and you know, being able to visit him and to see him, you know, go on his hikes and having books about how to survive in the outdoors. And um, I think it's great, you know, um, and it's very different. So I think bringing culture to, you know, a very predominantly white kind of, you know, field of health, um, I think it's great. Thank you for adding your presence to it. <laughs> we appreciate that. You mentioned, of course, that one of the reasons you like to be outside and run trails is it gives you some alone time mm -hmm. and gets you out of the rest of your crazy life. I have a distinct memory of when we were in the on our Grand Canyon trip and in Flagstaff, Arizona at the Whole Foods, of course you got recognized and <laughs> called out for, for being the chef that you are. And and then, of all places, when we went all the way down to the bottom of the Grand Canyon <laughs> Down, crossing the Colorado River uh -huh. to that place called Phantom Ranch. Yeah. You actually were approached by four or five women <laughs> and requested to take selfies with them <laughs> at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. Which, you know, it's pretty... I got a kick out of, of course. That, yeah, that they awesome. weren't looking for myself. <laughs> so that's, that's a pretty big deal, that you could go to one of these you know, crazy remote places on Earth 
down in these far reaches of this chasm and there's people who recognize you and want to take pictures with you. How does that feel? Mm, I mean, I mean, okay, one, it makes me realize that a lot of people watch TV, <laughs> which I honestly don't. I don't watch any TV. I don't own a TV. So it's quite funny that I was on this TV show. But, it, I mean, honestly, it was watched by 1.8 million people, and it, would, it was televised globally. So I think it's cool that people are very obsessed with restaurant kitchen culture um you know to talk about top chef specifically as a show it is a very real show um it's not staged so all of that is really us just cooking our hearts out and trying to you know cook in these crazy situations with you know limited ingredients and you know i mean it's kind of like having to survive somewhere challenging you know if you're gonna go you know try to you know hike into the woods and the snow and, and stay overnight you know you're gonna have your tools and you're gonna make the best of your surroundings with the resources that you have and you know that's what we did on the show so uh i think it's cool that we can all stay connected in that way and you know i think part of that is like the perfect example of you know um i truly consider myself an introvert even though like i i have some you know fame you know and uh, I have some some people who just know who I am without knowing who I am, you know. So, I mean, if I can entertain people through that show, I think that's fun, uh, and it's, it's helped spread, you know, our our restaurant, you know, to a, a national audience. So that's been wonderful because we want to share our food with people. Um, so yeah, but I definitely think, you know, of, of all places. <laughs> I think we were trying to go down there, you know, just to run and, and be quiet, and and we bumped into a lot of people. <laughs> so it's cool. Did you ever imagine when you were washing dishes that you would <laughs> be having selfie requests? <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. You are involved with some other projects outside of your normal day job, so to speak, mm -hmm. although it's often at night. Yeah, yeah. One thing that you've mentioned in the past is Urban Gleaners. You said you sit on the board of that? Mm -hmm, I do. Can you tell our listeners what Urban Gleaners sure. is? So Urban Gleaners is uh, a group where we glean food from around the city. So restaurants, uh, grocery stores, farms, you know, like New Seasons, uh Whole Foods, the farmers markets, they they donate any kind of rescued food that they can't sell that they can't use, and we redistribute it to communities in need and in the greater Portland area. So uh, the projects, schools, you know, underserved districts, you know, all these places, we we've donated and we've rescued and, and redistributed nine hundred and seventy thousand pounds of food this year to families in need. Um, and we've expanded to Washington State uh, this year as well. So, you know, I think the dichotomy is you think about Portland, Oregon, and we have all these lush farms, and you think about the farmer's market and all these great restaurants, but there's actually quite a bit of underserved people in our community. Um, you know, there's actually, you know, in the latest statistic is there's 115 homeless kids that go to Beaverton High School. And when you think about Beaverton High School, you probably don't think, you know, the community would represent that, you know, but there's actually quite a bit of homelessness and, and hunger, you know, in our surrounding area. So we've been able to do that. You know, part of, 
you know, feeling closer to the community has been my desire to, uh, you know, focus more on food policy um, and politics surrounding food. Um, that's been a focus of mine recently. Um, I have a really great relationship with Congressman Blumenauer, who is fighting for us in D.C., you know, on all these really important food topics from conservation to supporting local farmers to making sure that, you know, subsidiaries go to, you know, small organic farms and not, you know, big, you know, major crops like wheat, corn, soy. Um, so he's in D.C. fighting for us. We actually have a group that uh, is planned for 2019 where we are going to meet uh, every two months and cover a food topic, you know, from, you know, from hunger to um, sustainability, you know, so um, we're very grateful to be able to work with Congressman Blumenauer, um, you know, living somewhere um, like Portland, Oregon, where people are, are very active and, you know, very, you know, concerned about the state of, uh, you know, food policy and making sure that the right thing is getting done. You know, it's good to be able to be a part of that and, and work on that and to give back. Very cool. And you mentioned before that you enjoyed, you know, teaching sort of young chefs in the next generation. Mm -hmm. Were you speaking about that just through your work at Departure or are there other yeah other ways that you influence young chefs besides being inspiration <laughs> uh i mean i think one of my joys is truly just working being able to work side by side with my young cooks and at both our restaurants obviously i spend more time in portland but uh you know our restaurant's extremely challenging it's it's probably one of the busiest restaurants if not the busiest restaurant in the state so it, a lot of hard work goes into it the food is very detailed you know we're using ingredients from you know, not only local farms, but all around the world, you know, being that we are an Asian restaurant. So there's a lot that goes into it, you know, just because we are um, a very, very busy restaurant, you know, we still make everything, you know, ourselves, everything house made. So there's a lot of detail that goes into it. And because we serve so many people, there has to be, you know, consistency, which is something we're always striving for. So it's, it's, a, it's a challenging job. And, and, you know, I think there are so many other professions um, these days that are available um, to a young adult. Uh, you know, the culinary field is, is one of the hardest. You know, you burn yourself, you cut yourself. It's long hours, it's late. You know, um, some other, you know, professions are more lucrative, to be completely honest. So, you know, anyone doing it, you know, they're either extremely passionate about it um, and they want more information, they want to learn, or they're, they're just going to quit. And we see people leave the industry quite often. We see people leave the restaurant quite often. But the people that are on the team and that are committed are extremely passionate. Um, they want to learn. They want to grow. So it's it's I have an a, amazing relationship with my mentors when from being a young cook. And, you know, I can only esteem to have those relationships with my young cooks as well. I asked our last guest on the show what her advice would be to a young person or anyone who's really trying to find their their path and their passion in life. It seems like you've found a path that is very much your own and very very tailored to who you are as a person and that's a really cool thing to see. So how would you pass that on to the next next I, folks? I think I remember the first time someone asked me to have what my five-year plan was and we're actually the first time I worked on a five-year plan I thought it was like the oddest thing but I think honestly knowing which one is the most important thing 
knowing what you want and knowing that you can achieve it are like the two biggest lessons I can I can help anyone get. You know, I think if you know what you want and you truly believe that with hard work you can achieve it, I think you can accomplish anything. So I honestly, like I have the rest of my life planned. <laughs> Obviously that's, you know, not the most realistic thing because things can change all the time. Um, which is also funny because, you know, I'm an Alcoholics Anonymous and in Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, it's one day at a time. And I always had an issue with that because I wanted to achieve. So thinking one day at a time, which is, you know, all you have to do to, you know, if you're struggling with addiction, you just need to make it for 24 hours without, you know, drinking or using drugs. And then you can start over and press the reset button. Um, it works, you know. Um, but for me, being the person that I am, I, I always had an issue with it because I immediately wanted to start planning for years out. So, you know, I've... I, you know, honestly, it took me a while to decide what I wanted to do. You know, I had three majors. I kept moving. Um, I was battling addiction. But once I figured out what I wanted to do, I stuck with it. So I think once you decide what you want to do, you just make a plan and just work hard for it, you know, um, and use resources, you know, like learn from others, you know, esteem to be like people. Um, I love working with people who know more than I do. I love, you know, learning from people who have accomplished more than I have, you know, and I think everyone has someone to teach you. So I think if you're open, you know, and you can be humble and you can, you know, know that work and success comes from, you know, putting in hours and putting in time and learning and not having an ego and accepting failure at times, but knowing that you still must, you know, trudge on and, and, and keep your head up and keep moving forward. Um, I think anything is, is, is accomplishable. And so those things that you just said right now would all apply if somebody was still trying to find out what they were passionate about. Because yeah. I think that's a big, yeah. that's the real crux for a lot of people is like, yeah, a lot of people know what they want to do and they still don't execute because they don't have the long-term vision like you're mm -hmm. saying is necessary. But a lot of people just don't know <laughs> yeah. what they want to do. Yeah. And so I think, I think exactly all the things you just said apply to that of like being humble being open, trying things, looking for mentors, yeah, I mean, all that I would help somebody find the path in the first place. Sometimes I don't know what I want to do. Sometimes I feel like I don't have an answer. And honestly, if I can't figure out something right away, I just walk away from it. And I let it come to me. You know, um, I've had many situations where I didn't have an answer right away. And I've, I tried to sit there and I've tried to force think about it. And it sometimes it doesn't work, you know. Um, it took me, what, three years of, of college to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, I ended up being in college for seven years with culinary school. Um, but I figured it out. So sometimes it just takes time. You know, it, from rehab, you know, to the day I got sober, that was two years. You know, so sometimes years can go by b before we figure out, like, what we need and who we want to be, you know, so give yourself that time, you know, that's, that's what I mean when I say about, you know, knowing that there's some ambiguity through it all. And sometimes we can't force things, but as long as you keep putting one foot in front of the other, 
and keep moving forward, I think things will figure themselves out. But you gotta, you get once you figure it out, you gotta, you gotta go. You gotta just tackle that thing and just go for it. Excellent advice. <laughs> Are there any plans ahead, future excitement as we approach this new year, two thousand nineteen? I'm always up to something. Exactly. <laughs> okay, okay. I'm always up to something. Best guessing. No, but I mean, I feel that. You know, I've definitely let my career get in the way of my health a little bit. And as I get older, I feel I need to take a little bit more time for myself. You know, obviously self-care is a big topic and mental health is a big topic, you know, through all our communities right now. So I think just being able to focus on myself a little bit and um, knowing that I can be successful unless I'm healthy. um, I think that's something that I need to remind myself of and you know, I'm definitely a workaholic, um, and, you know, I just need to shift that focus a little bit. I feel like I've accomplished so many things, and I'm just so hungry for so many things, um, but I should take care of my body a little bit more as I get older. Um, so, yeah, so that's that's a focus of mine for 2019, which, you know, a lot of people have that goal. Um, so, you know, I think I will definitely refocus my energy into taking care of myself a little bit and, and doing less and being accepting that it's okay to do less and um, accepting that it's okay to say no sometimes. And, you know, for me, it, honestly, it's, it's quite hard to say no sometimes um, because I'm so hungry, you know, for, you know, the relationships that I have, you know, and, you know, for the goals that I see that are, you know, achievable, you know, and, uh, um, you know, just having less on my plate and taking myself a little bit more. That's my goal for 2019. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us. Of course. Um, I hope to sit down with you again in the future and we can talk about many more things. But Anytime. for today, that has been a, a great pleasure and we thank you so much for your time. Of course. Thanks, Willie. <laughs> All right. We will, uh, we'll see you soon. Good luck in this new year. Thank you. This wraps up another edition of the Get After It PDX podcast. For more information about today's guest, including social media links, please check out the show notes for this episode. Thanks for listening. Now it's your turn to get out there and get after it.